You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Before we begin, I wonder if you can just pray with me as uh, I bring this Word to you today. Pray that God will help us to understand it better. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, and Lord, I just thank you for your Word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to understand and receive your Word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be able to speak it adequately and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been talking about a series of messages called Five Must-Have Gifts for Christmas. And we've been looking at the five uh, Sundays of Advent to talk about the things that we need most in our life. As I've mentioned so often, uh, you can't give a gift that you don't have. So if you're not a loving person, you can't give love. If you don't have peace in your heart, you can't be a peaceful person. If you don't have joy, you can't share joy with other people. So it's important for us to be able to acquire these gifts, more so than any other must-have gift this time of the year, anything that you would see in a catalog or an advertisement or in the recently bought section of Amazon. Uh, We need these more than that because ultimately we'll be a more complete and happy person if we do. In our first week, we talked about hope. We talked about how hope is something that we look forward to and that we have to have hope to give it to someone else. We talked about, last week, the unconditional love of God that's present and available for all of us. This week, I want to talk to you about joy. I love the Christmas season. If my mom was here, she'd tell you that. I, I, I love Christmas. I would keep Christmas decorations up through like January into February on my own if I, if I could. But it just really makes me happy. Um, I enjoy walking through the mall and seeing the decorations and, and hearing the Christmas music. It puts a, really puts a smile on my face. Uh, before we started the series of messages, I was really looking for inspiration and I just found myself walking through the mall and just really just enjoying kind of the scenery and the environment that's created there and was really just touched in my heart. Um, you know, when I drive around my neighborhood and drive down the street and you see all the, the houses decorated and all the lights on, it just really just gives you a good feeling inside. Um, we also enjoy those times of gathering with friends and family where we can celebrate the Christmas season, enjoy each other's company. And those things make me happy, and I'm sure they make you happy too, but that kind of happiness is kind of temporary, isn't it? Christmas season kind of has a temporary sort of happiness. You know, after Christmas, all the decorations come down, all the parties are over, all the Christmas music is turned off, and it goes back to classic rock or easy listening on the radio stations, and then settles in like the cold, gray, dark of winter, right? You go from this brightly colored, you know, wonderland of just decorations to everybody's just huddled up inside and not leaving their houses anymore. So sometimes uh, that happiness and that joy fades when we no longer have those things around us anymore. And if we mistake happiness for joy, then we're living from one event to the next, looking for the next thing that will bring us happiness. The celebration of Christmas has a temporary joy, but I want us to have lasting joy. As I was walking around the mall and through those shopping areas and brightly decorated places, I I just felt in my heart, God wants us to have a lasting joy. 
Not a joy that kind of fades after you've unwrapped all the Christmas presents. Not a joy that fades once the last party is over and the last of the uh, Christmas treats and desserts are eaten, even though that's a very sad moment in the house. Uh, But joy that will last beyond that. And so joy and happiness are not the same thing. We might think they are, but they're not. Happiness comes and goes. It's kind of like when you start a meal and you're happy to eat it and then it's done and you're like, oh, that's over now. I can't, you know, I wish I had more to enjoy. But happiness comes and goes. There are things and experiences that make us happy. But when those things are missing from life, then some people lose their happiness. We live in a world where people are chasing after different things in life to be able to find happiness. Some do it with material possessions, especially at this time of the year. Uh, All the advertisements focus on that one gift that will make that special someone in your life happy, as if their happiness, like, completely hinges on you, right? Like that one gift is going to change their life forever. It probably won't, unless you're getting engaged and married probably not going to change their life. They're probably going to say, oh, that's nice. Thank you for that. And then they'll move on to the next thing. But the world is kind of wrapped up with chasing after material things for happiness. People chase after success. If I'm more successful, then I'll finally be happy. And there are some people that pursue success and chase success and achieve success much to the chagrin of their own family because their family ends up getting neglected in the pursuit of success. Money, some people believe that more money will make them happier. Let me challenge you with this thought. When you got the raise at your job and you thought this is a life-changing raise, or you thought you're, this is going to vastly improve the quality of your life, whether you got a raise in your job or whether you got a new job that pays you more, as time went on, you recognized you lived up to that standard of living, and now you need more. So you're always going to need more money. We all need more money. And, but if that's the, the root of happiness, then you're going to find yourself chasing the wind. Some people look after, uh, chase after popularity and being well-liked in order to be uh, happy, wanting to be liked and loved by everyone, which is really an impossible goal. Fame is probably one of the worst goals to try and find happiness in. Because the cycle of what is popular and the cycle of what is mainstream and and well-loved and liked goes about six months in a row, and then it changes. I have to laugh because there are times I'll bring up a phrase or I'll bring up a trend that was like six months old, and I'll say it around my daughter and my son, and they'll just look at me and roll their eyes or just grimace because they're like, that's no longer cool anymore, and I didn't get the memo that it's not cool anymore. So for them, they're kind of like, oh, they've moved on from that, and that thing that they really enjoyed and devoted a lot of their time to is no longer something they enjoy, and in fact, it's kind of quote-unquote cringy that you enjoy those sort of things, or that you would even use that phrase or try and do that thing. Sometimes people seek the approval of others to be happy. Can I tell you that approval addiction is a real thing? And sometimes people are only happy if they meet the approval of others, but even that's a slippery slope because you won't make everyone in your life happy. In fact, you might even make yourself 
miserable trying to make everyone else in your life happy. Some people chase after experiences. If I, if some people are travel addicts. They love to travel. They love to go to the next big experience. They get done with their trip, and immediately when they come back, they're not like, I'm so glad that I went on that trip. It's like, oh, man, I wish I could go back. Like literally on the end of that trip is disappointment. I wish I was back on the beach. I wish I was back hiking. I wish it wasn't so short. I wish I could still be on that cruise right now. And if we are living from happiness to happiness, we'll find that sometimes we're just traveling around looking for that next experience, that next stamp in the passport, the next trip that we'll take. In reality, we're just trying to go from one experience to the next, not truly being happy. All these things are temporary But joy is different than happiness. Joy is a gift. And true joy is found in Jesus. Stephanie read from that passage of Scripture today in Luke 2, 8 through 13. I wonder if we can take another look at that today. It's from that story that's in the Gospels, the Christmas story. And it talks about angels and shepherds. In verse 8 it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. I want you to underline that, because we'll come back to that. For there is born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there is... Uh, with the angel, there was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I want you to think about the words of the angel in that passage. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for some people. No. It would be great joy for all people. This news will be for all people. The joyful news is that the Savior has been born and he will save the people from their sins. He will bring righteousness and justice into the world. He will right the wrongs of the world and change the hearts of people and bring them back to God. The message of Christmas is the message of Jesus. The message of Christmas is the message of Jesus, and Jesus is the one that brings lasting joy. Think of all the people in the Christmas story that experienced joy. When uh, the angel Gabriel visited Mary, it says that Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. The shepherds who heard the good news and went away from the manger, they went away praising God, rejoicing and telling others about what they had seen. The wise men who came seeking Jesus, these were not even believers. These were not even Jews, but they saw the star in the east, and they said, there's a king that's going to be born this night. And when they saw the star, they greatly rejoiced. Anna and Simeon were two people in the temple that when the baby Jesus was being dedicated, they both rejoiced that they could see the newborn Savior. This wasn't a temporary happiness. This was a joy at what Jesus represented because the birth of Jesus was not something we just kind of celebrate because it's a nice story. We celebrate it because of what Jesus represents to us and the world. Jesus' birth was the hope of the nation of Israel to be restored 
and the hope of salvation for all mankind. This joy transcended any kind of difficulty that those people were currently going through. Listen, they were still living under the oppression of Rome. Some of them were living in poverty, but the joy of that message that came to them brought so much joy into their lives that it transcended what they were going through. They realized what Jesus meant for their future and for the world. As I've said before, joy is more than a temporary happiness. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? It means that there are times where you go through periods where things are difficult. There are times where you go through moments where things are not particularly ideal. But the idea is this, is that joy and strength comes from God, our Savior. It comes from the Lord, and he gives it to us. When this was written, uh, people in Nehemiah's day were grieving because the priest Ezra was reading the law of the Lord, and the people were listening to it, and they saying, we're not living up to that. We're not doing what God asked of us. And they wept and they grieved. And Nehemiah said, don't grieve. Today is a day of celebration because the covenant is being renewed today. God is restoring and bringing the nation back to himself. And that's cause for rejoicing. So rejoice today because the joy of the Lord is your strength. God's joy stems from our salvation. It's the song of a grateful heart. It strengthens the believer in trial and tribulation with the knowledge that God is with them. It's different than happiness. It's the assurance that God loves us, he's forgiven us, and he has a plan for us. I'll say that again. God loves us, he's forgiven us, and he has a plan for us. This is what the psalmist rejoiced over. He rejoiced over his salvation, that his fate was not like the sinful or the wicked. He rejoiced over what God had done in the past and the promises of what God would do in the future. Every time you read the Psalms, you'll read through that. It's the writings of a man that's going through a hard time. Especially if you read the first few Psalms, you're like, wow, this guy is having a tough go of it. This guy's going through some difficulty. He's got some people that are against him. But he constantly reminds himself of God's goodness, what he's done in the past, what his promises say concerning the future, and in that he found hope and joy. Can I tell you today, it really is a choice to rejoice. You have to choose to rejoice. You have to choose to embrace the joy that God has given us. There are some weeks that they're not great. I'll tell you this much. This week was a hard week. You know, it was the birthday of someone who had passed on that was we were very close to. And that whole memory of that just kind of colored the whole week for me. Definitely kind of cast it all in sort of a, a gray shade, a pale shade of gray for the rest of the week. And I found it hard to be joyful. I'm talking to you about joy this morning. And I found it really hard to get over that grief and to find joy to be able to share with you this morning. But it's a choice to rejoice. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. You've heard this passage before. People love to quote it. Verse 4 is the one that we should focus on. Rejoice in the Lord what? Sometimes? No, always. And Paul, just for emphasis' sake, says, again, I'll say it. Rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Therefore, meditate on these things. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Now, notice the first sentence that Paul writes there in verse 4 is, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. In other words, this is not an easy thing to do, but something that bears repeating. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And he says, let your gentleness be known to all. He doesn't say let your happiness be known to all. Let your gentleness, your calmness, your peaceful demeanor be made known to all in the middle of what you're going through, especially in the face of stress and difficulty. He follows it up with saying, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. And look at verse 8. Here's the key. Focus on the good in your life. You might say, well, there's not a lot of good in my life. Listen, there may be some things that you're going through that are not good. But you're going to be hard-pressed to say there's absolutely no good in your life. Do you have kids? Do you have grandkids? Those are good things in your life. Do you have a job that you can go to even though you hate it? It provides for your needs? That's a good thing. Do you have a car that runs that you don't have to hitchhike or ride a bike in the snow? That's a good thing. Whatever is true. Whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is noble, whatever is right, think on these things. Our mind has a tendency to want to go towards the negative. Our mind has a tendency to want to dwell on what we don't have or the bad in life. Can I encourage you is that to get into this practice that Paul says to think about the good. Focus on the pure. Dwell on what is praiseworthy, not on what isn't. When you start counting the blessings in your life, you'll find that you'll be strangely stirred to enthusiasm. Strangely stirred to joy once again. Because you'll remind yourself, yes, I remember when God did that for me. Yes, God, I remember how good you were to me. I remember that you healed me. I remember that you saved me. I remember that you answered a prayer that I had. And then you'll find all of a sudden, joy fills your heart and fills your spirit. If you keep looking at the bad, you will never have joy. Rejoice that where you are right now is a temporary place, and God's going to bring you through it. Rejoice in who you know God to be and trust his nature and his character and his plan for your life, knowing that it's good. Rick Warren defines joy this way, quote, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life and the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. In other words, I willingly choose to rejoice in who God is. See, joy is not not whether or not you are happy in your current situation. It's about trusting God to be in control of every situation, and praise him in every situation. You know what the word rejoice means? It literally translates, find joy again. Rejoice means to find joy again. 
So what does that mean? That you might have to look for it. And it may not be in the obvious things. It may not be in the, the Christmas bonus that you didn't get this year. It might not be in the fact that your kids decide that they're going to spend time with the in-laws instead of going and visiting you this year. It's about finding joy in something else other than the thing that you are looking for joy in. The Lord really wants to be your source of joy. He really wants to be the one that when all else fails, you look to. But also when things are going well, you look to him as well. Learn to rejoice and find joy again. Remember what he's done for you. Recall to mind and bring to memory what he has done. R.C. Sproul had a simple acronym for joy. He says, quote, In the first year I was a Christian, I learned a simple acrostic with respect to the word joy. It taught that the letters that make up the word joy stand for Jesus, others, and yourself. And the lesson was that the secret of joy was to put Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. Obviously, that is very easy idea, so simple that a child can learn to understand it, but it's far more difficult to get it into one's bloodstream. But this illustration contains a profound truth. Joy is often elusive because we put ourselves first and Jesus last. When that happens, we are trying to spell joy, Y-O-J, as in yourself, others, and then Jesus. And we need to rearrange our priorities. Not only do we need to put Jesus first, we need to put others ahead of ourselves. He says, I once had a lengthy conversation with a woman who was going through a very difficult treatment for cancer. And through it all, however, she displayed remarkable radiance. Every time I saw her, she seemed joyful. I began the conversation by asking, how are you doing? Well, she gave me a summary of how she was doing that lasted about 15 seconds. Then she said to me, R.C., how are you doing? And I answered the question, but it was only after the conversation had ended that I was on my way that the truth came home to me. I had gone to her hospital room to comfort her and to manifest my concern for her well-being, but while we talked for her about a half an hour, maybe 15 seconds was devoted to her condition. For the whole rest of the time, we were talking about my troubles and worries, and she was comforting me. I couldn't believe it. It was no wonder she was so joyful because she was not wrapped up in herself in the least, end quote. Crazy when you think about that. When you think about joy being Jesus first, others second, yourself last. The key to lasting joy is getting the focus off of ourselves and onto Jesus and others. Most of our sadness comes from where we are and where we would like to be and what we don't have right now. Don't focus on yourself and what you don't have right now. Focus on Jesus. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. Put him first. Start him in the conversations for your day. Start him in the prayers for your day. Make sure the day ends with you praying to him and thanking him for the day that you've been through. Line up every decision based on what God would want you to do. Put him first in everything, and everything else will fall into place afterwards. If you focus on others, you will have less time to focus on your own problems. 
Serving others is a wonderful remedy for getting your mind off your own problems and your own unhappiness. But sometimes it's a sacrifice to serve others. You have to give of yourself to do it. Here's some practical application to help you. Can I challenge you today to be someone who brings joy wherever you go this Christmas season? Even in the store with the long lines and that you are waiting in a long line to be seen by a cashier and maybe your attitude isn't particularly great when you get to that cashier. But have you stopped to think for a moment that that cashier might have been working 8 to 10 hour shifts just trying to make that extra holiday pay in order to help take care of their family? What would happen if you were gracious? What would happen if you were kind? What would happen if you just said, hey, how are you doing today? You know, I just want to thank you for serving this morning or serving this afternoon. I really appreciate it. I can tell you guys are super busy. You must be really tired. And engage in that conversation and be life-giving. What would happen if you just took a little bit of a moment to bring joy to somebody's life? What a difference that could make in that person's day. The funny thing about that is it becomes joy is a very contagious sort of thing. Contagious in a good way since contagious is a, has a bad meaning now these days. But contagious in the sense, if you give joy to someone else, there's something that automatically happens. Someone else wants to give joy to somebody else. So you could do that in that moment. When you go to the restaurant, when you sit down to a busy restaurant and you have your server come to you, could you be kind and not demanding or difficult or if something's not made the way you want it? Don't be a, that kind of customer that's just being... Uh, short and rude and difficult as though somehow they're waiting on you like you're royalty what if you just treated people that were serving you just like regular people who are working for in some cases i think it was like 363 an hour not including tips to be a server they're not getting paid a really good wage because all of their tips that come in and they probably had a long day what if you just uh not only were gracious to them but you tipped them really well what would happen if you were to tip them 15, 18, or 20% and then wrote a little scripture verse on there and a little thank you? Do you realize what that could do for someone's life if you were just in that moment someone who could bring joy to somebody else? Make it your mission today during this holiday season to be a blessing wherever you go. Show genuine concern for others instead of always talking about your own unhappiness make yourself available to someone who may be unhappy and ask them how they are doing listen that might be hard for some of us our favorite topic is us let's be honest it's about what we have it's what we're going through if you're older and you have health issues your favorite conversation might be what kind of health issues you have because that's your life right now you're like you're going from doctor to doctor you have this condition you have that thing going on and so sometimes we talk about all the things that are wrong with our life or all the things that are wrong with our relationships or all the things that are wrong with our family what if we stopped and just simply said you know what how are you doing you don't want to hear about me let's talk about you and how much of a relief that could be for somebody a couple things will happen here first you'll realize that your problems might be relatively small compared to someone else's. And second, the Holy Spirit will help you to encourage that person and help them feel good. As the book of Proverbs says, he who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. Now, there might be some hesitation here, and you might say, well, pastor, 
I don't like what I've received in life. I can't be joyful. I've been through too much. I have nothing to be joyful or happy about. Can I just challenge you today that God has a beautiful exchange policy? I've preached on this before, and it's not anything new that you've heard me say, but I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 61 with me. Isaiah 61, verse 3. And it says, to console those who mourn in Zion. I want you to look at God's exchange program here. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and he might be glorified. What a wonderful exchange program. You couldn't ask for a better exchange program. This passage in Isaiah is a promise God made to Israel that after their time of captivity, he would restore the nation. The nation that was once destroyed would be restored. In God's exchange program, we give him what saddens us, and he promises us joy and rejoicing in return. Think about this. Beauty for ashes. There's nothing beautiful about ashes. It's gritty, sooty, and useless. If you have a fireplace in your house like I do, every time you go to open that flue, you take your hand out of the thing and your hand's black, right? That's what a fireplace is like. Nobody goes, oh, you know what would look good? This would look good right here on my face. Or, you know, I'm going to add that to an hour. You don't want that. You're like, this is useless. This is not beautiful. There's nothing great about this at all. But God takes the ashes, hear me when I say this, of what's been destroyed in your life and gives you something new and beautiful in exchange for it. Out of the ashes of your life, God can make something beautiful. He gives us the oil of joy for mourning. Now, the opposite of joy is mourning and grief. In ancient times, oil was used for many different things. Oil's application to the body was used for anointing, cleansing, and healing. Oil anoints the head of both the king and the priest. Oil was used on the head and on your hair after you had taken a bath. It was used as kind of a cosmetic sort of thing. Oil was also used to bind wounds and as an ointment for healing. If you're mourning today, I want you to know that God promises the oil of joy for mourning and grief. Joy is also a gift and a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you look at the fruits of the Spirit, joy is one that is birthed out of the Spirit of God at work within you. So even if you don't have the capacity for joy, the Spirit of God that dwells within you does and can bring fruit out of a barren place. He said, I'll give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The picture here is the difference between being a slave and being a free man. A slave cannot raise his hands because they're bound in chains. But the man who is set free from those chains rejoices and praises unhindered. It's the picture of someone that's been given clean and new robes, like in the book of Revelation. I want you to think about this, is that the spirit of heaviness. What's the spirit of heaviness? Spirit of heaviness is like you've got so much on your shoulders. You've got so much uh, that's weighing you down. 
to the point that you can't praise God for anything right now. It's kind of like wearing either one of those weighted blankets or if you've ever been uh, like soaking wet with your clothes on, you feel heavy and worn down. It takes someone else to take those off you and give you new garments, a garment to praise the Lord with and to rejoice in his holy name. When God gives you new garments, he sets you free from the old and gives you a heart that is new so that all the past is gone and all that remains is praise. Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 61 is really interesting when you think that we're in verse 3, but the first two verses say this. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, if that sounds familiar, that was read in the New Testament as well. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's given this passage to read. And Jesus read verses 1 and 2. Remember, we focused on verse 3, that he would give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy uh, for the spirit of mourning. And Jesus read verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 61, and he said, Today this scripture verse is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that all those things that God has promised to the nation of Israel and to his people, I have come to fulfill those things. I'm the one that's going to come and bring peace. I'm the one that's going to come and bring love. I'm the one that's going to come and bring deliverance. Jesus said, that's me. I'm the one that's going to bring the healing in your life. As we prepare to focus our attention on, like, what would the Scriptures require us to do? I want you to think about this for a moment. And you might think to yourself, you know, I don't have anything of value to give to God. And I don't have anything to be joyful about in life. Everything that I have is filled with sadness or brokenness or difficulty. But I want to encourage you today to look into God's exchange program this morning. He wants to take away that brokenness. He wants to take those things that you have that feel like they're useless and they don't amount to anything and bring them to him. God's not put off by the broken things of your life. He, unlike us, when we get a gift that looks like it's broken or dirty or unclean, when we get it, we're kind of like, oh, I don't want that. But the Lord is like, bring these to me. Show them to me. Present them to me at Christmas. Present them to me, and I will not only accept them and accept them with gladness, but I will give you something beautiful in exchange for them. I want you to know that this morning, that no matter what kind of situation you've been in your life, no matter what you've been through, you might not be particularly happy right now. You may not be particularly joyful at this moment, but I want you to know the Lord welcomes what you've been through and welcomes your brokenness, and he longs to not only receive, but also to give you and to take what's been broken and to take what is no longer useful and to give you back something 
that will give you joy, something that will give you peace, something that will give you healing. Why does he want those things? It seems like weird gifts to give to God, wouldn't it? Like no one else would want that. But by giving it to him, you're saying, God, I trust you with the broken things in my life. God, I I trust you with the things that didn't work out. God, I trust you with the the heartbreak of a broken relationship. I trust you with the things that I've been through in my life and my life has fallen apart. I trust you with the things that are are the shameful parts of my life and I give them to you because I know that you won't mistreat me or cast me aside, but rather that you will welcome me and you will give me something beautiful for what isn't beautiful. I wonder if we can just close our eyes for just a moment as we think about this word. And maybe you've been going through something today and you kind of feel like, I have nothing to be happy about. I have nothing to be joyful for. It seems like everything at this season in your life is not working out the way you'd like it to be. And you feel overwhelmed. You feel stressed. You feel just sad. Maybe you've been through a season of mourning too where you've lost somebody this year and it just seems like it's just really kind of putting a damper on your Christmas celebration too. You just feel sad in your heart. Can I tell you today that you won't be in this place forever? You won't be in this spot forever. But the Lord wants to be the one that brings joy to your situation. If today you're saying, you know, Pastor, I need joy in my life. I'm not going to call you forward or anything, but you say, Pastor, pray for me because I have nothing but broken things, but I want to bring them to the Lord because the Lord will give me joy. He will give me peace. He will give me healing. And I want you to pray for me today. Pastor, would you pray for me today? If that's you, just simply slip up a hand real quick and put it back down, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor. It hasn't always been the best, but I'm trusting God today to take care of me. Anyone else? Say, so when you pray with me then, will you believe God for the greater things in your life? Will you believe him for the one who is going to give us something wonderful in exchange for our brokenness. Let's be honest and transparent before him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you that joy is available to us today if we want it. But Lord, so many of us have been through different difficulties and hardships along the way. And for some this morning, it might be hard for them to see the possibility of ever being happy or joyful. I pray today that they would bring these things to you. That they would bring everything that they have, all the things that are broken, all the things that are shameful, all the things that didn't quite work out. Say, God, I bring these to you. And Lord, I pray that you would just bestow upon them praise and joy and healing and peace. Lord, only the kind that you can give. Kind that isn't temporary or passing away, but something that will stay with them all of their days. And that they'll remember that in that moment of weakness and that moment of just extreme trial, that you were there for them. And so then the future, they can turn to you every step of the way and you'll be there. Grant them this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.